0: me, everyone, I have a brief announcement to make. Jesus was black, Ronald Reagan was the devil, and the government is lying about 9-11. Thank you for your time, and good night.
1: Dream where you made the white people riot, weren't you? But I was telling the truth. How many times had I told you, you better not even dream about telling white folks the truth. You understand me? Shoot. Making white people riot. You better learn how to lie like me. I'm going to find me a white man and lie to him right now.
2: Once again, dear listeners, my name is Ernesto Morales. And I'm Alex Yanish. We are back with the third part of our four-part series on the short but far-reaching book, Left-Right, The Significance of a Political Distinction. Today we are discussing chapters 5 and 6, titled respectively, Other Criteria and Equality and Inequality.
3: In episode 2, Bobbio took on the survival of the left-right distinction and dove deeply into the criterion for distinction and how the criterion is constantly changing with times and political development. Today he gets back at it, taking those who complicate the meaning to task Answering what is essential in understanding the left and right, reminding us that left and right are still relative and never absolute.
2: How the left right distinction relates to indigenous politics in the United States is particularly important as protest movements like DAPL and Idle No More continue to surge throughout the continent. Continuing to ask ourselves the pertinent internal questions that revolve around the left right distinction based on equality and inequality in tribal lands and larger societal movements. What does being on the left or right mean in Indian country in terms of building large-scale political movements? Does it even matter? We think it does.
3: So strap in and here we go. But remember, theory ain't nothing but a G thing. Too loped out theorists going crazy
0: so back on up cuz you know about rip it up give me the microphone first so i can bust like a bubble hopping in long beach together Now you know you in trouble ain't nothing but a jake thing baby too low death, take us so with crazy death row is the label that's paid man unfatable so please don't try to fake it but back to the lecture at hand
2: in the opening paragraphs of chapter 5 Bobbio is talking about an Italian scholar, Dino Cofrancesco, who puts forward the idea that the Manichean interpretation of the left-right distinction ends with the desecration of the Marxist faith. He writes that the liberation of mankind from unjust and oppressive power is still the nucleus of the left as a political category. On the other hand, even the right represents something typically human. It expresses one's roots in the soil of tradition and history. I think that what's interesting about this is that the reference to tradition is a constant feature of the left-right.
3: So what you're saying is it's not the nucleus of the right. Like you can take away tradition from the right and it can still maintain itself. So he says something else that a lot of times we think of the right as sacred and then people try to conflate. That means the left is uh, the profane but that's not something that we can use for the left-right distinction. The right doesn't always fall in line with sacred. Christianity or whatever conservative traditional religion is not the thing that defines the right.
2: Correct. When he talks about the soul of the right can be expressed succinctly in the motto, nothing outside or against tradition, everything for tradition. And then he goes on to talk about in the next couple of paragraphs, that there are six ways that this can happen. Tradition as archetype, crucial or decisive era in history, loyalty to nation, historical memory as common destiny, or awareness of the complexity of reality. Now what I think is also really interesting is that Fanon in Wretched of the Earth is very explicit about tradition. He says that tradition is the death of culture. And so that what happens over a long period of time, and in the case of say the United States with indigenous people is that over the past four or 500 years, the subjugation or the desecration of indigenous cultures has boiled down to uh, traditions, things that we we just kind of cling to and that we, that we hold to. And I think it fits really nicely in with what Bobbio is talking about here. Tradition itself is the opposite of culture, so to say. I know that that might seem kind of counterintuitive to a lot of people, but tradition is what's left over as culture, in this case, the culture of indigenous people as it's slowly eroded over the centuries by settler colonialism. And
3: that's thinking of tradition specifically in a static way, and culture as a dynamic, always growing and moving.
2: Yeah. I think that part of what that points to is that even within the National Liberation Movement, like Fanon is talking about, the support of tradition is conservative which I think is fascinating because we normally think of movements like national liberation movements as being very left wing. What this does is it reaffirms the points that Bobbio is making throughout the rest of the book that there's the left and there's the right and even within the spectrum of the left there can be parts that are further to the right and parts that are further out to the left And so thinking about tradition as this way of being able to define or to think about the left-right distinction, what Bobbio talks about, he says that he's not interested so much in compiling opinions as he is in developing what he calls a critical uh, way of looking at these things. And, And the way that they define critical is that it means an evaluative or merely descriptive analysis which avoids loading the terms left and right with mutually exclusive value judgments, but which takes into account that they are not absolute concepts, but historically relative. The use of critical, it's only possible to use that really then if one forgoes conceiving of the left and right or the things that we think making up the left and the right as concrete historical totalities. So what is left now wasn't left 50 years ago, the idea of left and right themselves are spatial. That they're spaces people occupy, and the things that make up those spaces change over a period of time. In in no way fixed. Yeah. No way fixed, but also really brings us back to this idea of safeguarding tradition. Because tradition, even though it's one of those things that people are like, oh, you know, we've always done this, right? Marriages must be arranged by the papa. Tradition itself changes over a period of time, which is one of the reasons I think that Bobbio is opening this paragraph with this idea of talking about tradition, because throughout this chapter, what he's really doing is exposing, bringing to light the different ways that people try to talk about the left-right distinction and showing how these particular terms, words like tradition, and some of the other words that we'll talk about are automatically front-loaded with value judgments. And that's one of the reasons why they can't really be used to dissect or to take apart the left-right distinction.
3: I think it's an interesting point that you were bringing up about tradition. When we think of the word tradition, it seems fixed. But you're bringing up something, and I think Bobbio is as well, that tradition is something that's historically made, not necessarily something that is fixed.
2: Yes, and part of what he's saying is that right-wingers are concerned with safeguarding tradition but that the left is concerned with emancipating mankind from the imposition of race, class, and rank. What's compelling about this is that tradition can be used to do all of those things, the imposition of race and class and rank. And that is, in effect, what tradition is. These people are on top because they've always been on top. And so thinking about how the left strives towards emancipation is important in understanding that. It doesn't actually matter what the tradition is. The tradition fixes, it places, it puts things in a certain spot. And the opposite side, or what the what the left side is trying to do, is emancipate people from that
3: artificially constructed situation that was created. Like all these traditions, these things that you're talking about, race, and class, it's important to remember that they did not exist until we created them. They're not a a natural uh, thing to humankind.
2: It's also important to remember that even the things the left is creating, right? Because this is the big sort of debate between these two things and that on the left, when we're talking about equality and inequality on the right, we're talking about egalitarianism and inegalitarianism, the way that People who espouse egalitarianism are approaching it, are saying that people are generally the same, and so they should have the same things. Whereas people on the right are saying individuals have extreme differences, or everybody's different, which means the way that everybody should be treated is
3: well, it's a proof that because people are unequal, based on that everyone is an individual, that these things are natural, and that they're not constructed.
2: Right. That is the proof the right would use. So you think that Bobbio is
3: saying that tradition is not vague enough?
2: No, I think that what he's saying is that it is a incorrect way of, of thinking about it.
3: Well, yeah, I think that tradition, it does become an incorrect thing. He goes on later to talk about that both left and right use militarism, secularism, anti-communism, individualism, technical progress, and violence. None of these are essential to either side, even though they are traditionally things that have been used to combat the enemies of whatever side is pushing these things forward. I mean, I think the the broader conversation that he's getting into is that there's this confusion about what defines the left or the right. And I think it's because critics will put essentializations upon the left or the right that exist that are not actually academically honest as a, an essential nature to the left or the right. To further confuse these things, Bobbio points out throughout this chapter that non-opposite characteristics define a things. So when we say the right is traditional, that implies that the left is non-traditional. But that's not actually the case for the left. Each side puts positive characteristics upon themselves to negate the other side. Both sides can actually hold that liberty as a characteristic that they are supportive of.
2: Yes. What Bobbio is doing, I think, is a very good job of showing that the words that we're putting across from each other aren't really appropriate. So, for instance, he writes, the opposite of tradition should be innovation, not emancipation. Equally, the opposite of emancipation should be order imposed from above or paternalistic government, not tradition or conservatism. And so, I mean, you can see how this would be, right? I mean, if tradition is this structure that comes down from above and says this is the way that we do things, this is the way that we've always done things, this is the way that we'll always do things, then actually innovation is really the opposite of that because what we would be seeking to do is to create new things, find new ways to think about things or to do things, as opposed to the traditional ways of doing it. What's happening is that when we don't put the words across from each other that need to be, that what we're actually really doing is flattening the the contradiction between the two terms. So what he's saying about Co Francesco is His use of axiological positive terms instead of one positive and one negative led him to weakening the contrast between the two sides, turning the two terms into two separate entities rather than opposites. And that's a problem. One of the ways that we understand things is by their opposite. So if we are trying to put things into play with each other that aren't actually opposite of each other, it does weaken the the contradiction instead of heightening it. Heightening the contradiction is a way of like understanding the situation more fully to really see the differences between the two things and to be able to say, okay, I can't be this, but I can be this. And to understand how those two things are irreconcilable, which is also the point that Bobbio has been making throughout this whole book is that the left is the left and the right is the right. And that based on, their adherence to a value set—they are essentially irreconcilable. Doesn't mean that they can't work together. Doesn't mean that it doesn't change. Doesn't mean any of those things. It just means that if you're on the left, that you can't be on the right. He goes on to talk about Elioletti and talks about how this writer has a little bit of a different interpretation of the distinction that's based on ideological analysis. Bobbio writes. The purpose is to identify the more comprehensive and universal concepts, which would make it clear to classify with maximum simpli- simplicity and thoroughness the ideologies which have dominated the last two centuries. But, he goes on to write, her conclusions are in part the same as Le Ponce's, and the chosen terms are hierarchy for the right and equality for the left. Here again, the opposites are not what one would expect. Why hierarchy and not inequality? And this is where Bobbio really starts to get to the point of this fifth chapter. And the thing that he's really trying to, to bring out, and I think that he does this, I mean, and he just really drives it home here at the end. When we're talking about quality, that the opposite of, of equality has to be inequality. It can't be hierarchy. It can't be tradition. It can't be any of those things because Hierarchy is not something that just exists on the right, it also exists on the left, as you pointed out I think a couple of a couple of minutes ago. Tradition is also not something that just exists on the right, it also exists on the left. And to think about it in that way shows the weakness of, of that contradiction, right? It shows how that's, that's not really gonna work, but I think even more importantly, it also gives us a clear view into why people struggle with the distinction because they don't really see the difference between the two. And that, I think, is in part due to the way that we continue to talk about it.
3: And I think he is really trying to find why people do this in this certain way. And I think he's really pointing something out that we fall into constantly, is putting moral judgments upon the left or the right instead of scientifically looking at these things. He calls out Galeotti. He calls her out asking why hierarchy and not inequality in this piece. And that's because he says Gagliotti is worried that the use of the weaker term inequality rather than hierarchy would shift liberal ideology too far to the right. Because although liberalism does not share the egalitarian ideas which typify the left and therefore is in some ways anti egalitarian. It should not be confused with ideologies for which inequality between human beings is natural, intrinsic, and unavoidable, which should be termed hierarchical and not egalitarian. So he's calling her out on this thing for unscientifically looking at this thing. She put a value judgment on liberalism, thinking it's, you know, the best thing and considers herself someone on the left. But if we're to be honest with ourselves about these things, liberalism can cause hierarchy. And we see that with class here in our current construction of the economy, specifically in the United States. There is a hierarchy in the United States under our liberal democracy. Actually, a social democracy would be something that would be more devoid of hierarchy. But there would still be existing hierarchies within these things. And I think that's kind of a a slippery thing right there. I think that's a hard thing to look at in the mirror is that liberalism can be right and left, that there are hierarchies that exist within liberalism that makes people unequal.
2: Yeah. When he talks about political terminology, what Bobbio writes is that it is inherently imprecise because it draws mainly from everyday language. And not only is it imprecise in description, but it contains many words which are ambiguous or even ambivalent in the values they express. Understanding that vagueness, right, understanding the
0: ambiguity
2: of the words that we're using, even when we use the word liberal. Sure, there are a lot of people who think that this is a liberal, liberals believe this, liberals believe that. And, you know, essentially liberals believe in the rule of law. That is both a left and a right type of thing. This is where the ambiguity comes in.
3: That we're equal under the law.
2: Well, that we're that we're equal under the law, right? That's, that we have
3: equal opportunity. That's
2: the equality part of it, right? But the inequality, and you know, we see this all the time, is that people have opportunities. You know, they have the opportunity to go to school. They have choices that can be made, and that those choices reflect the individuality of each of the people that are involved in it. So we have this whole thing. People in general, we may believe are basically the same. And then we have people in general who we believe are vastly different from each other. When he talks about political disagreements, what he's saying is that an opinion is put forward in every political disagreement. And that opinion, that within that opinion, there is an expression of a conviction, whether it's public, private, individual, or belonging to a group. And that expression of that opinion has roots in a charitable or uncharitable frame of mind, an attraction or an aversion to a person or to an event. And I mean, we see that clearly play out all the time in conversations that we have with other people or that we see other people having with each other. I mean, I think social media is a a great example of these expression of opinions that are either charitable or uncharitable. And they take place along this spectrum of of left and right. It's where we get that really wonderful libtard word. And so to think that through is important because one of the things that it does is it helps us to understand our own political positioning as we go out and have conversations with individuals. I think that it should make us or help us to reflect more deeply on the positions that we're taking, understanding from the get-go those positions, even though we feel they're very concrete, are based very firmly in ambiguity, in the imprecise nature of language. What does that mean about the conversations that we're having? One of the things I think that it should drive us to do, and I think that this is what Bobbio was saying, is that it should really drive us to reflect deeply on the things that we're putting in contrast with each other. Are these really things that need or should be? in contrast with each other. I know it seems like it's really big, like the things that he's talking about are really big, but what he's been doing through this whole book is starting wide and really funneling it down to this moment, you know, where he says it's about equality and inequality.
3: And I think something else that complicates the things that he's really getting into specifically with this woman is, the opinion that one is doing an injustice to liberalism if one places it too far to the right is the opinion of someone who makes a positive axiological use of liberalism and a negative axiological use of right wing. And trying to reflect back on our own understandings of politics outside of those things, we put moralistic judgments upon these things all the time instead of trying to start from a position of being on the left or being on the right and putting a negative or positive value judgment upon those things.
2: Absolutely. I mean, there's a a number of really good one-liners in this chapter. And one of the things that Bobbiel says is that one cannot argue over opinions. I think that he's not... I mean, yeah, we can. (laughs) We can. (laughs) What's what's the point? What's the point? And so... This is a podcast, not Facebook. (laughs) So if you can't argue over opinions, then the question that you have to ask yourself is, one, what can you argue over? He also goes on to say it would perhaps be more useful to try to understand the reasons for an opinion rather than the opinion itself. And I think that this is one of the gestures that he's making towards thinking through this left-right distinction. Why do people believe what they believe? Do they believe it because they fundamentally believe that in the individualistic and unequal nature of humanity? Or do they believe what they believe because they accept the equal nature? Not that we're all equal in every way, but that as human beings, as a species, as as a group of... Our
3: desires for the future, I think, is an important thing to think about there when we're talking about equality yes we're not equal but what about the classic sayings of like you know to to each their need to each of their ability I mean are we trying to make it are we trying to flatten this so that everyone is more equal in a certain way that everyone is living up to these same things or are we trying to keep these things separate are we trying to keep things unequal
2: what you just said is a large part of what of the point I think that Bobio is trying to make what is it that we believe how do we believe Do we believe people are equal, or do we believe that people are not equal? This simply is is the point that, that Bobbio is making. That is the basis of the distinction between the left and the right, is equality and inequality. He talks a little bit about difference in terms of thinking about how that works for the distinction, but he says that the category of difference cannot stand on its own in relation to the question of justice for the simple reason that not only, well, he uses the example of women, not only are women different from men, but all men and women are different from each other. And so, you know, the injustice of discrimination depends not on the difference, but on the recognition of the lack of good reason for the unequal treatment. That's interesting. I'm sure that there are a lot of people who Would have some issues with that statement, but ultimately, all men and women are different from each other. I would probably rephrase that for 2019 and say that all people are different from each other because all people are different from each other
3: as individuals. As
2: individuals, this again becomes the important part are we talking about individuals or are we talking about? groups of people. Are we talking about humanity or are we talking about Ernesto and Alex? Because Ernesto and Alex are very different from each other. Right. But as human beings, we're not that different from each other. Which side of that distinction then do we hold to? Because, you know, you're right. I mean, when we have the idea in our mind that all people are pretty much the same, then... The injustice of discrimination depends not on the difference, but on the recognition of the lack of good reasons for the unequal treatment. It might seem in some ways like it's kind of a messy argument. I don't actually think that it is. I think that when we're talking about other criteria, which Bobbio is doing right now, it makes sense. We would take issues like discrimination and reduce them down. But I think it's important to note Bobbio is not talking about the discrimination that people of color necessarily face or transgendered people or anything like that. He's just talking about discrimination. He's not saying this person's discrimination or that person, that group's discrimination. He's just saying discrimination. So Bobbio goes on to talk about the difference. He says, the discovery of a difference is irrelevant to the question of justice when it can be demonstrated that this difference justifies a different treatment. Again, I think that it's important to understand Bobbio is talking about words. When he says justice, he's not saying justice for or justice with. He's just talking about justice. And that, I think, may at times seem hard for people to, to understand because we constantly want to associate words like justice or liberty or, or any of these other words or even difference with groups of people. This group of people is different. Mexicans are the other. Native people are the other. Justice for indigenous people. But that's not what Bobbio is doing. What Bobbio is doing is he's saying justice. The discovery of a difference is irrelevant to the question of justice when it can be demonstrated that this difference justifies a different treatment. He's not saying how that difference occurs. He's not saying what that difference is. He's not making any sort of assumptions or uh, implications about when and where that might take place. He's just saying that if you can demonstrate a difference, then perhaps it does justify a different treatment, which I think is also an important thing to keep in mind. There are some differences. How we justify those differences or we justify that treatment has a lot to do with how we think about equality and inequality. He also lays out the idea that the left and right, again, are relative, not absolute. This is a point that he makes repeatedly throughout the whole book, and I think that it's Important that we keep that in mind when we talk about right wingers or left wingers. That what we are talking about are relative positions on a political spectrum based on each other, based on each other. They are not substantive nor ontological concepts. Also, important understanding when he says that they're not ontological concepts, the point that he's making is that they are not concepts that are essential or are about the state of being or the nature of being, that they are things that are constantly evolving their ideas or positions that are constantly evolving and they're constantly shifting. He says they represent a political topology which has nothing to do with political ontology. One is not left-wing or right-wing in the same way as one is communist, liberal, or Catholic. In other words, left and right are not words which designate immutable meanings but can signify different things in different times and situations. The fact that left and right are opposites simply means that one cannot be both the left and the right at the same time, but it says nothing about the content of the opposing ideas. The opposition remains, although the two opposites can change.
3: So, Todd, does that mean that they are two spatial concepts without a specific and constant content? It has to be asked whether they are therefore empty vessels, which can be filled with anything at all.
2: (laughs) (laughs) They are, in many ways, empty vessels that can be filled with, with anything. But they are opposite of each other. That's a little hard to get your head around sometimes. Yeah. I think as human beings, we're constantly looking for something solid. We want to have this idea or this thing that we can hold on to that gives us some sort of meaning or helps us to make sense of the world that we live in. The purpose of theory is to give us a thing to hold on to, but the thing that it gives us to hold on to is the fact that things are constantly changing. Now, that might seem psychotic to some people. Personally, I take a lot of comfort knowing things aren't always going to be the way that they are. They could get better. you know. Along with that is that they could also get worse. <laughs> You're a gambler. Yeah, well, we're all gambling, whether we realize it or not. Every day is a, is a roll of the dice.
3: It's also a quality of democracy in general. We are wanting the ability to make our own decisions, but we also have to come to terms that if 51% of people want something that I don't, unfortunately that's what's gonna happen.
2: One of the really interesting examples that he uses, he talks about the distinction on white and black. The white-black pair only indicates polarity insofar as one cannot be white and black at the same time, but it gives us no idea of either political orientation. The relativity of the two concepts can be shown by observing that the indeterminate nature of the two and their subsequent ability to shift around mean that a given moment, which is left-wing in relation to the right, can, by shifting to the center, become a right-wing movement in relation to the left, which has stayed put. And conversely, a right-wing movement can, be, by shifting to the center, become a left-wing movement in relation to the right, which is not moved. We see this all the time, particularly in, I think, one good example, at least for me anyways, would be the National Council of La La Raza, which starts as kind of like this, you know, really left-leaning organization. But over the years, clearly, even though they're, for the most part, you would still situate them on the left, that they've really shifted much more to the right. And in doing that, have become a lot more right wing in terms of the way that they think about their interactions, the way that they deal with their members. We can see this happening in uh, unions, in the history of unions in the United States. They have become more and more conservative. They have become more and more right-leaning, although they're still on the left. I mean, the fundamental idea behind the union is that people are basically equal, that they should all be paid similarly or that they should have a contract, that they have the right to safe working conditions, and all of that.
3: They shouldn't be exploited.
2: That They shouldn't be exploited. But it's clear, unions have become more conservative. I would probably also say that's one of the reasons why union membership has gone down, but I don't think it's the only reason. But I think it's one of them.
3: I think the unions are moving to the right in a lot of ways, and they're... The reason they're saying that they're doing this is trying to change with the times and trying to survive. I don't know what would happen necessarily, but it seems like the higher-ups of the rank-and-file unions are saying that if we push farther to the left, then people will not come with us. We need to go more towards the center to gain a, a larger base.
2: You know, we certainly see this in what I would consider the Chicano community or the indigenous community. I mean, we have individuals who uh, cling to the notion of tradition. And in doing that, what what they're really doing is pushing a lot of the movements towards the right. The idea that protesting is undignified or it is uh, not the way that Native people act. These are all statements that I have heard many times repeated over the past 25 years. It's the idea of clinging to tradition and I've seen how that does exactly what Vobio was talking about, how it takes left movements and, and shifts them towards the center. And so part of what I think that we have to think through and we have to kind of try to, to figure out isn't necessarily how do we stop that from happening. I'm not really sure that there is a way to stop that from happening. What it really does is it reflects, you know, again, the spectrum of the community. So it's not about necessarily eliminating people who lean towards the right side of the spectrum, but what it is about is figuring out how those of us who are to the left, how we interact with them, and to understand the, uh, the tension and the pull between those two parts of, of that side. When we're talking about equality and exactly what does that mean? Bobbio goes on to say that in political science, it is well known that in times of particularly high social tension, the leftward trend and the symmetrical rightward trend cause the formation of a left which is more radical than the official left and the right which is more radical than the official right. Left-wing extremism pushes the left to the right and right-wing extremism pushes the right to the left
3: do you think that means right now, where we're seeing right-wing extremism in the ways of, I mean, right now we have this guy who went and uh, shot up a synagogue, who's living in his MAGA van, and there's all kinds of things all over the United States, but at the same time, the right is saying that there's left-wing extremism on the other side, Antifa going around throwing bricks through uh, windows and whatnot. not. If- Right-wing extremism is on the rise right now and is pushing the right further towards the left. How do you see that in this moment?
2: How do I see it playing out?
3: Yeah. I mean, if Bobbio is right, there's extremism on the left and there's extremism on the right and it's pushing the right to the left and the left to the right. It's pushing them all closer into the center, right?
2: What he's saying, and this is, he said this several times, is that it's the extremism But it's not even necessarily about that it's pushing them. When you have extremism, what it does is it moves the the spectrum out further. So even if the people who are on the left or on the right don't move, I mean, they move closer to the center simply by the fact that the ends have grown out, that the part where the extremists inhabit has gone further away from the center. And so it's not even necessarily about them changing or them becoming something different or actually, you know, moving more towards the right. They're moved because of the change, because of the expansion. You know, Bobbio's right. He's talking about the symmetrical expansion. He's talking about if there's a leftward trend, then there's a symmetrical rightward trend. I don't see how that's not true. After Trump's election, I think that there was definitely a leftward expansion. In this case, that would be a symmetrical response to the the rightward expansion of the alt-right and the identitarians, the street-level Nazis, all of these different individuals. What had partially kept that under wraps for a lot of years was the incident on, on 9/11, the wars that have been going on in Iraq and in Afghanistan really the whole sort of like idea that there is a war on terror, as if there could actually be such a thing, a war on terror, that has checked the leftward expansion while the right has really just sort of exploded. And not just on the street level, even in the government, like the government itself is moving more and more towards the right. What that means is that we are coming, as Bobbio talked about, into a period of intense social crisis. There will be a response. There is a response that's growing. There is something that is happening. Now, what that looks like over the next 10 years remains to be seen. The response is inevitable. He says that the familiar expressions which are used to describe positions are on this side, on that side, on the other hand, and on the one hand, in one way. However, the above examples of shifts between left and right do not polarize the left and right, but place them on a continuous line, and they change from one to the other by degrees." He says that Ravelli correctly points out that any political force which occupied the entire political space would cancel out any distinction between left and right, as occurs in a totalitarian regime which does not allow any internal divisions such a regime could be considered left or right only if at all in relation to other totalitarian regimes. I mean, one of the things that we can take away from that is that we do not currently live in a totalitarian regime. How we keep that from happening is probably another discussion because it does seem like that is something that could happen and that could happen here in the United States, but that we currently don't have that. I think, is evidenced by this podcast, the openness of it, by all the thousands of other podcasts but that are out there's two parties. There's, well, there's at least two parties still, technically. <laughs> you know, like we talked about in the other episode, it appears that there are a number of people in the Democratic Party who are working uh, furiously to heighten those contradictions, mm-hmm. right? To push the left further to the left, which is a symmetrical reaction to the expansion of the right within the government. It's important to think about these things spatially to understand that what we're talking about is occupying space, that we're talking about a line, and that we could even say that the left-right distinction revolves around the concept of the left, and that the variations are based on the different possible opposites to the principle of equality, which can be variously the inegalitarian principle, the hierarchical principle, or the authoritarian principle, and to understand that as the founding principle, equality is the only criterion that withstands the test of time and resists the steady breakdown to which the other criterion have been subjected. This is really the first time in the book that I've seen Bobbio come out and say, okay, what we're talking about is the way that the left is theorized. This idea of equality goes against all of these other notions that have been historically constituted, hierarchy, the rule of kings, all of that, this notion of equality, all people are basically the same, is what the left is formed around. He's also saying it's the only idea, out of all these other ideas, it is the only idea, the idea of equality. That cannot be broken down.
3: In the last sentence of the chapter, he says, the only way to reaffirm the distinction is to reorganize the criteria, starting from the secure value of equality or based on the critical importance of equality as a value. He's actually projecting this as like a program for the left. He's saying in order to combat the end of the left-right distinction, we need to be very clear that the left is for equality and the right is for inequality. And that's really the only judgment that we can put upon these things. And that's the only way that we can fight these things in this misinformation campaign that's going on around all of these things. Yeah, so in 1994, when Bobbio was writing this, uh, it was apparently the end of the left and, you know, therefore the end of the distinction because you cannot have a right without a left. What he's saying is that, what I'm hearing is that in order to revive the left is to demand that these things be taken seriously with very specific language and we put things that equate with each other next to each other, equality and inequality, not equality in tradition, not equality in uh, hierarchy or things like that. Be very honest with our understanding.
2: Yeah, he goes on in Chapter 6 to say that the basis of the distinction is everyday people's reaction to equality, Uh, that equality along with liberty and peace is one of the things that people are willing to fight for, even though these are relative concepts. You know, we can definitely see that that's true. He points out three variables. First, the individuals between whom benefits and obligations should be shared. Second, the benefits or obligations to be shared. And third, the criteria by which they are shared. He's saying that this is one of the ways that we're able to determine exactly what's going on.
3: And I think this is another complication of these things that specifically the right uses against the left is conflating any time the left says something about equality, they conflate it with extreme egalitarianism. I mean, we're talking about Trump saying that socialism will never happen here in the United States because there's this fear mongering campaign every time any sort of socialist change comes to the United States to help something. People are told by people like Paul Gosar or Donald Trump that socialism means that all of their stuff will be taken away. And Fobio yeah. is yeah. having is saying right here, we need to talk about the individuals, the benefits and obligations that are shared, and the criteria at which we are gonna share these things. It's not an all or nothing thing. It's a you know, a spectrum of how much redistribution is going to happen, how much all of these things are going to happen.
2: That leads a to- this part where he says once the principle of equality has been accepted no proposal for redistribution can fail to respond to the three questions between whom of what on the basis of which criteria if you think about it these are really the main questions that are asked all the time in one form or another between whom of what on the basis of what criteria who gets what and why this is a big part of this notion of equality I think it's also important to understand that those three criteria have infinite combinations, that there are all sorts of ways to think about putting them together to make determinations about who gets what, and that none of them are exclusive, that they can be considered together, or that they, you know, at least one of them can be mutually excluded. Mm -hmm. This makes the conversation complicated. And we see it. It's also one of those conversations about equality that it's very difficult for people to have.
3: It is complicated when we see these things. He uses a, you know, example of school having a criterion of merit where you move forward in school through like your merit.
2: He talks about Marx and the final stage of communism should be governed by the principle to each according to his need. On the basis of that belief, it is in their needs that human beings are hurt the most equal. And this is the part where you're talking about school. That actually really makes a lot of sense because it is in our needs that we are the most equal. You know, we need food, we need water. I would argue that we need education, that all of those things are are important to who we are as as human beings. Shelter. Shelter. And those things cut across the, the board. The overwhelming majority of the billions and billions of people who live on this planet need those things to think about it in that way some people might argue that that's very complicated because then who gets what (laughs) Mm. (laughs) and on the basis of, of what criteria but Marx has made it very simple and he says that to each according to his needs if you're a human being then you get these things that's pretty basic equality
3: well hope for hope for equality
2: well I mean in terms of like if you if somebody said to you, what is, what is equality, or give me, an, give me an, a definition of equality, to say to each according to his needs, that's pretty straightforward, you know, bottom line definition of equality.
3: And that can get even get complicated, like here in the United States, it's not actually that our needs are met, but that we hypothetically have access to fueling our needs. Like we hypothetically can go get a job, so we're like all equal, because we all have equal. Ability go get, I don't know, a CEO job at Amazon or whatever. is like the hypothetical nature of that whole thing.
2: You're right. It's totally hypothetical. Of course, we don't all have the ability to go get a job as a CEO. It's the diversity within humanity that makes their point.
3: When we talk about to each his own, that isn't to each his own, their needs being met. You said that it's the baseline of uh, hope for... Uh, equality here in the United States, but talking about
2: no, not hope for equality. I'm saying that is the baseline definition like if somebody said to you if somebody said to me, What do you think equality is, or how would you define equality? I would say to each according to his needs,
3: okay, so here in the United States, I think that in general, equality is defined for people in a different way that they have equal access to exist in the capitalist marketplace and have access to their labor. And I think that talking about UBIs and stuff, like there's that guy Yang who I think was involved with eBay or something, don't quote me on that, but he's running for president right now. And he's running on the whole fact that automization is going to happen and that jobs aren't going to exist anymore, so that's actually going to take away from people's ability to survive and he's trying to challenge those things and his whole platform is everyone gets a thousand dollars in the United States to live on per month our jobs are all going to be automized um, most people aren't going to be able to work but in order to prevent people from dying and make sure that people have access to their needs because they'll no longer have access to the job market it's gonna give everyone a thousand dollars that's an interesting conversation to have I don't think that that's gonna solve anything you know rental Prices are probably going to go up everywhere. It's not addressing any housing issues or anything like that.
2: I mean, those the, those kind of ideas are, are interesting. One of the things that uh, Bobbio begins to work through is the idea of utopian visions, which he says the left are more inclined to than the right, but that it would be a proposal which could not possibly have any rational meaning. I think the thing that's really important about this chapter, this is the point that OBL has been building up to. He has laid out over and over again the ways that we think about the left, the ways that we talk about the left and the right in our society. And he has shown, I think very clearly, one of the reasons around the confusion about the left-right distinction is that...
3: That the way that the left and the right are talked about is non-opposing ideas. They put value judgments upon one side and then put a non-opposing value judgment on the other side. Totally complicating the issue.
2: Which makes it seem like the distinction no longer exists. Poor dialectics. (laughs) Lazy bones. (laughs) Lazy bones. One of the things he says, these introductory arguments were necessary because when we say that the left is egalitarian and the right is inegalitarian, We certainly do not want to say that a left-wing one needs to proclaim that every single person is equal in all things irrespective of any discriminating factor, because this would not only be a, a utopian vision to which admittedly the left is more inclined than the right, or perhaps to which only the left is inclined, but what is worse, it would be a proposal which could not possibly have any rational meaning. Clearly. Not all people are equal in all things. In other words, the assertion that the left is egalitarian does not mean that it is egalitarianist. The distinction must be made clear because too often happens that those who consider equality to be the distinguishing characteristic of the left are accused of being egalitarianist due to insufficient understanding of the ABCs of egalitarian theory.
3: And he goes on to say that it's more complicated than, you know, full equality or non-equality. An egalitarian doctrine or movement, which tends to reduce social inequality and try to make natural inequalities less painful, is very different from an egalitarianist idea of total flattening. Everyone gets, you know, a thousand dollars and nothing more and everyone has to work equally hard and all of these things, which is... The the bait that people like Paul Gosar and Donald Trump are constantly using to fight pro-people and pro-equality legislation, equality does not necessarily mean egalitarianist.
2: Equality is the state of being equal, especially in status rights and opportunities, which we see that argument being made all the time in this country, that people are equal because they have... The same rights and the same opportunities. We know, however, that that doesn't really play out in an egalitarian way.
3: Well, I, and he even uses the example uh, that all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others.
2: Was that him or Otis Huxley? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, he Two quotes legs him. good. Four legs bad. <laughs>
3: <laughs> doesn't he quote him in chapter four? uh Huxley?
2: Wasn't it Orwell Animal Farm? Oh, yeah, it was. It was Animal Farm, yeah. It was Orwell, said the PhD in literature.
3: (laughs) um, Because he spelled it wrong.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So when we talk about this, what we understand is that natural inequalities exist and that the majority of those natural inequalities cannot be eliminated. There are things that make us different from other people, and there's no way to, to get rid of those things but that social inequalities can be addressed, but Voglio says that in reality that they can only be discouraged. And I think that we can also see that that's pretty true too. I mean, the only way to get rid of, theoretically, and even then, I think what you're just doing is creating a whole new set of social inequalities is to you know completely overthrow the system that is producing the social inequalities. I think that this paragraph, is very important. It therefore follows that when we say that the left has a greater tendency to reduce inequalities, we do not mean that it intends to eliminate all inequalities or that the right wishes to preserve them all, but simply that the former is more egalitarian and the latter more inegalitarian. And again, I think it's important to remember what we're talking about here is the way that we perceive differences. There's a group of people on the left who say all of these differences are somewhat beside the point because people are basically the same. And then there's a group of people on the left who say the differences are important and we wish to preserve the differences, whatever those differences are. Because the book and Bobbio don't speak to those at all. So when he says equality and inequality, he's talking about just that, equality and inequality. He's not talking about all of the other things that we think about when we think about those ideas or those notions. So the left is for equality, the right is for inequality. It's based on how they see the human condition.
3: It's vital to understand this, to to talk about humans as equal and unequal at the same time. Humans as a species are equal, especially in relation to other genus. But humans as individuals are unequal. I can throw a football at least 10 feet farther than Todd
2: can. (laughs) Only 10 feet? (laughs) I said at least... (laughs) Human beings see equality and inequality emotionally, which is also part of the of the issue that we run into. Is that we try to make these ideas scientific, or we try to quantify them, but that in reality, they're very hard to quantify. It's hard to quantify equality and inequality.
3: And it depends where you're observing it from. It
2: depends on where you're observing it from, but what it ultimately comes down to is how you feel about it. Some people feel all human beings are equal and deserve basically the same thing. And some people feel deeply that not all human beings are equal. Therefore, the distribution of whatever becomes a very different thing.
3: Do we even want to do something about that? I think another thing that differentiates these things is do we consider these things as natural human inequalities coming from nature or do we consider these things as social inequalities that maybe we can change these things. I think it's also interesting Bobbio states people who believe that human beings are more equal than unequal and people who believe that we are more unequal than equal is what defines the left and right distinction. An egalitarian bases his belief on the conviction that the majority of the inequalities which most outrage him in which he would like to see removed are social and as such can be eradicated. The anti egalitarian, on the other hand, bases his beliefs on the conviction that they are natural and cannot be eradicated. So there's also a distinction, and we see this all the time. Social justice warriors are constantly talking about systemic oppression, and you know, they're laughed at by the right, but it's showing something that's common on the left, talking about artificiality, which Bobbio uh, states artificiality something that the left uses as a descriptor for social inequality. All of these things come from, you know, there was no criminal until the day that we invented a law. There was no race until the day that we invented race. So racism didn't exist prior to these things. So all these things are artificial. And the left comes from an observing point of these things that because we created these things, we can also actively try to change these things. But the right sees these things as a natural thing that through science or whatever, that's just the way things are. And they don't want to change anything about that because it's natural. He says that the great divide of post-Enlightenment era philosophers the, some of the classics, the Rousseauian side and the Nietzschean side, and that the egalitarian Rousseau condemns social inequality in the name of natural equality. But the egalter, anti-egalitarian, so Nietzsche, condemns social equality in the name of natural inequality.
2: I mean, that really helps us to understand the division Mm -hmm. in ways that, thinking about it as hierarchy or differences or any of the other examples, Bobbio brings out in Chapter 5, it either is real because of who we are or it is not real because we made it up. That is at the basis of most of the so-called political arguments that you hear uh, happening in the United States today.
3: And also the reason for cutting like food stamps is getting cut for 300,000 people because of this new Donald Trump bill and the rhetoric behind these things. And, you know, it's not just Donald Trump. It's been happening forever is they say that we tried to help them and there's something inherent to them as people that's natural that they can't be helped anyway. So there's no use in us spending the money on these things that people should other people shouldn't be charged to help these people. But the egalitarian looks at things like food stamps as something that because everyone needs to eat, everyone needs shelter, everyone needs support in some sort of way. The egalitarian is pro things like food stamps, pro things like rental control, pro things like giving universal basic income for certain things.
2: The egalitarian tends to play down the differences, the inegalitarian to overstate them. And so, you know, it becomes this thing about social rights. He has this interesting uh, little piece where he talks about what happens around the time immediately after the First World War. He said this idea of social rights uh, were enshrined in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and other international charters which followed The reason for social rights, such as the right to education, the right to work, and the right to health care, is egalitarian. All three aim at reducing the inequalities between the haves and the haves-nots or making it possible for an increasing number of individuals to be less unequal in relation to other individuals who are more fortunate by birth and social conditions, which really is just a way of reaffirming what you just said a, a second ago.
3: Yeah, and then the last sentence of the chapter, at a more practical level, this would mean encouraging policies which aim to make those who are unequal more equal, rather than a utopian society in which all individuals are equal in every single thing.
2: I think it was interesting, he also says in that chapter, I repeat again that I'm not saying that greater equality is a good thing, and greater inequality a bad thing. I'm not even saying that greater equality is always, and in all cases, to be preferred, other benefits like liberty, affluence, and peace. I simply want to emphasize through these historical examples that there is an element which typifies the doctrines and movements which are called and are universally recognized as left-wing. And again, Bobbio is playing the role of the scholar, the theorist. He is not talking about specifics. He is talking about the left and the right, and I think that he does a really good job continually pointing that out to the reader. I mean, we could, and I'm I have throughout the course of the time reading this book, and I'm sure you have too, thought of all these different examples, you know, like what about this or what about that? But the basic idea behind a book like this, and I think even beginning to have a conversation around understanding how political ideologies are formed, I mean we have to get down to the the root of it, right? What does it mean to be on the left? What does it mean to be on the right? Once we begin to understand that and we understand the left is based in equality, the idea all people are basically the same and that they all deserve the same things and that the right is based in the diversity of humanity, that all people are different from each other, radically different from each other. They see it as an individual issue The left sees it as a group issue. This is what makes those things irreconcilable. It's also, I think, a vital point for us as individuals who are trying to think through what these things mean in terms of the arguments that we're hearing and the policies that are being carried out in all of the different problems that we face in society today, where those ideas actually come from. Like he said in Chapter 5, the question or the idea really isn't the opinion. The thing that we have to ask ourselves is, where does that opinion come from? Why does that person think the things that that they think? Once we begin to uncover that beyond the, well, they think that because they're an asshole, once we get past that, what we can really begin to do is look critically, which he also talks about in Chapter 5 as a process which does not value load ideas, we can begin to look critically at what it is that people are saying. Chapters 5 and 6 are in many ways the culmination of Bobbio's argument, a cleaning up of the complex, messy ways the left and right are talked about, simplifying the two ends of the political spectrum to egalitarian and inegalitarian. In An Honest Critique, Chapter 5 shows the false dichotomies used by academics. Hierarchy is not the opposite of equality. Emancipation is not the opposite of tradition. The left-right distinction cannot be based solely on the idea of difference. Bobbio questions the purpose of replacing a clear criterion like equality and inequality with a less convincing one. This is, according to Bobbio, a significant example of an ideological and analytic attitude being combined. Since the earlier examples are not true opposites, the left-right contradiction is weakened and raises questions and doubts about the significance of the distinction in public discourse.
3: In Chapter 6, Bobbio says all human beings are both equal and unequal. This is where the left-right distinction comes from. Left and right exist because of equality and inequality. Bobbio says if we consider human beings as a species, we can see the equality. When we consider humans as individuals, we see the inequality. Egalitarians believe that what humanity has in common is of greater value for community than our differences, or
2: as Bobbio terms it, diversity. This is Bobbio's argument in his own words. Quote, One could almost say that the left-right distinction revolves around the concept of the left and that the variations are based upon the different possible opposites to the principle of equality, which can be variously the inegalitarian principle, the hierarchical principle, or the authoritarian principle. As the founding principle, equality is the only criterion that withstands the test of time and resists the steady breakdown to which the other criteria have been subjected.
3: We would like to thank our loyal dysfunctionals for tuning in on this bumpy ride through the spatial universe of the left-right distinction. We'll be back soon with the final episode and the last word on Norberto Bobbio and the significance of a political distinction.
1: I'm Alex Janisch. And, and I'm Ernesto Morales. And, and we are the reality we well, the producer who can rap and control the maestro At the same time with the dope rhyme that I kick You know and I know I flow some old funky shit To add to my collection, the selection symbolizes Don't take a toe, but don't choke If you do, you have no clue Or what me and my homie Snoop Dogg came to do It's, it's like this and like that, like, that, like and that, this
0: and It's like that, like this and like that and, uh, that, and It's like this, and who gives a fuck about those? So just chill, to the next episode What a hell of a gangster lane Getting funky on the mic like an old patch of green. It's the capital i I'm fresh and double-O-P D-O-Double-G-Y-D-O-Double-G, you see Showing much flex when it's time to wreck a mic Pimpin' hoes and clockin' a grip like my name was Dolomite Yeah, and it don't quit I think they in the mood for some motherfucking J shit yeah. So dry
1: up, uh gotta get
0: them what they want. What's that G? We gotta break them off something. Hell yeah. And it's gotta be bumping. City, City. of Compton. Where it takes place, so we we'll that your
1: attention, Mobbin like a motherfucker, but I ain't lynching. Droppin' the funky shit, that's making a sucker niggas mumble. When I'm on the mic is like a cookie, they all crumble. Try to get close, and your ass gets get smacked. My motherfucking homie, doggy dog, has got my back. Never let me slip. Cause if I slip, then I'm slipping. But if I got my Nina, then you know I'm straight trippin'. And I'ma continue to put Put the rap down put the mac down and if your bitches talk shit i have to put the smack down yeah and you don't stop i told you i'm just like a clock when i tick and i talk but i'm never off always on to the break of dawn see you when pto in the city they call long beach putting the shit together like my nigga d.o.c no one can do it better like this
0: that and, uh, it's like that and like this and like that and uh, it's like this Then who gives a fuck about those? So just chill till the next episode.